that I'm supposed to be feeling this time of year? Or as Matt said to me earlier this week, uh, am I adventing properly? I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. Well, I, I try to plan things out. I try to control situations, make sure that I can manufacture joy at the appropriate times to make sure that I don't have to deal with these questions. So this past last weekend, my wife's family was in town. We had been planning this out for six months, that they were going to come and we were going to celebrate Christmas a couple of weeks early. And part of why they were going to come at that time was because on Friday, we were going to go see Hamilton. Um, so, you know, I, I think as far as like great Christmas weekends go, going to see Hamilton has to be pretty high up on the list of things that like ensures that you're not going to be found lacking or, you know, a little disappointed in any way. But not only that, so we saw Hamilton together on Friday night, the in-laws, they took off on Saturday morning, and then the rest of the day consisted of Mallory and I getting ready for my work Christmas party, which was a huge ordeal. Uh, They've basically made it a bigger and bigger party every year. And so uh, I quite literally have been looking forward to that since the last Christmas party. so we drop the kids off very early in the day. We go and check into the hotel that, that my company's got for us, which is a great thing to be able to do, even though it's five minutes from our house, just to go and check into a really nice hotel, and somebody else has made the bed. Everything's clean, and you've got a great window overlooking the city. And we get there, and we check in, and we take our time getting ready, ironing my shirt, and getting my suit on, going to this Christmas party. And we went. We had you know, the cocktail hour before dinner. We had dinner and drinks and awards and celebration. Then we had the after party. And then we went to bed. And the next day I woke up and I was sitting on the edge of the bed just kind of getting ready and thought to myself, well, I guess this is it. Like, I've been looking for these things. These have been on my calendar for basically a year or six months. This weekend was like the weekend. This is the epitome of joy in the season of joy. (laughs) I am going to have a good time. And I woke up on Sunday morning before coming to be with you all last Sunday. And I was like, well, I guess that's it. Like, that's over. I don't even, like, this isn't even on the calendar anymore. And strangely, I feel unfulfilled and unhappy. I thought this was going to get me out of the funk that I was in and kind of lift me out of it. But it didn't do the work that I was hoping it would do. I was underwhelmed. I think a lot of us probably feel this way for this week coming up, right? Wednesday is Christmas. And, you know, as Anglicans, we're lucky we get to celebrate Christmas for a few days after Christmas, uh, which I'm still kind of learning about. But it used to be, as a kid, like literally on the 26th of December, we would get rid of our tree, take the decorations down, and then I would begin to kind of be nostalgic for Christmas and start looking forward to and counting down to the next year. Another way that this would manifest for me as a kid is we would start like the holiday break and I would count down the days every day. I was like, okay, well, I still have more than half of my break left. And then you get to halfway, and then you kind of get sad even though you're still on your break. So you're already bummed about it being over before it's over. So Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) You don't have to muster or manufacture faith. You don't have to pretend or pose. In the midst of your dissatisfaction and your desolation, God is with you. I'm guilty of sometimes believing the lie that I can't trust God with these moments of dissatisfaction or emptiness or disappointment, that especially on a Sunday morning when I'm getting, you know, getting my collar on and coming to be with you guys, you know, I'm very tempted to handle this by uh, quoting scripture to myself in the mirror until I feel like, you know, super powered up and ready to be joyful for everybody, for for other people, you know, not for myself. Um, 
Or often, you know, we basically just have to fake it until we make it, right? It's kind of a false sense of piety that if we admit that we have negative emotions or negative feelings, then the second that we admit that those are real, they're going to overpower us and overtake us. Some of us will just avoid those feelings altogether. That's way more comfortable. And that's what I try to do oftentimes too. Like I said, I, I planned out this weekend in advance to kind of manufacture as much joy and happiness as I could. And I think probably a few years ago when I woke up on Sunday morning and I was not satisfied, I probably would have begun just scheduling something for like later that day, potentially. Like just get something else on the calendar. Let's just keep going. Keep it moving, you know. But you don't have to muster or manufacture faith. You don't have to pretend or pose. In the midst of your dissatisfaction and desolation, God is with you. The psalm that we read this morning is, is pretty dark. It talks about, you know, God, turn your face upon, shine your face upon us so that we can return to glory, that we can return to light. And this is a, an a, ancient Jewish phrase called Hester Panim is what they call it, but it basically means the hiding of God's face or an eclipse of God. And I think that we all can identify different moments in our life, whether it's recent or far away, where we have felt an eclipse of God in our lives, where you don't feel God is present and at work with you. Now, the, the verse that we, we read in Isaiah, I think, uh, very easily can be read as a prophecy of Jesus um, because we have the advantage of hindsight. We can look back and he, he magically fits into that. And, it, you know, rightfully so, obviously. But I think it's very interesting looking at the original context of what was going on there. So King Ahaz is, he's fearful about these two other countries that are bearing down on him. And that is, they're threatening his rule and his reign and his happiness. And God basically says, don't worry about it. I got you. It's fine. And then God realizes that Ahaz is struggling, right? He's not having faith, even though he's been reassured. And so God says, ask me for a sign. Make it as low as Sheol or as high as heaven. So God, God's not going to stop at anything to, to prove his faithfulness or his presence to Ahaz. But then Ahaz does what we often do, and he responds by saying, he, he kind of twists God's word around in a, in a false sense of piety, and he says, I'm not going to put God to the test. Like, I'm not going to ask for this because I don't want to put you to the test. I think we often will do that too. We, we don't maybe recognize it in ourselves, but there are these things that we aren't willing to trust God with, these things that we won't put on God because we're afraid of what happens if, if we do trust God with them and then they don't go our way. What if I do pray this prayer request? What if I name this to my community and then things don't turn out the way that I wanted them to? What if I apply for this job and I ask everybody to pray for me, but I don't get hired? What does that mean? Does that mean that God isn't who he said he is? Does that mean that God isn't really with me? The interesting thing about this passage is that God's posture towards Ahaz actually is not changed at all by Ahaz's actions, but Ahaz's ability to participate in God's work in his life and be present to God's presence is the thing that is shifted here by the way that Ahaz responds. Where are you afraid to ask God for a sign today? In this passage, again, we can very easily see that there's a prophecy about the coming of Christ. But in, in its original context, it's not very clear. It's not clear who the mother is or who the child is. But it does seem like, looking at the translations, that there was a woman that was pregnant with a male child at that time. And so God was sending a sign of new birth in a hopeless situation. 
But because of that not knowing who it was or where it was coming from, it's something that Pope Benedict calls a word in waiting. So Ahaz is receiving a word from God in waiting. He doesn't really know the solution, right? Like in hindsight, we know, okay, there's, somebody, there's a child going to be born at that time, but also Jesus is going to come and he's going to save the world. But Ahaz didn't know that. He just received that word in waiting. I think that the passage in Matthew this week is similar to, to that as well, in that Mary and Joseph are invited to join in God's work, but they don't know how it's going to turn out. And they have a lot on the line. It costs them something to say yes to God in this situation. Uh, I, I was reading a, a text this week kind of breaking down this passage, and it was comparing Joseph and Mary to being the new Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve kind of had everything going for them. They were in the garden. They could walk with God. And then Joseph and Mary, they really had, saying yes to God meant nothing was going for them in this situation. The only thing going for them was that God was going to be with them. You don't have to muster and manufacture faith. You don't have to pretend or pose. In the midst of your dissatisfaction and desolation, God is with you. I'm learning to face my own desolation. I think God has been working in my life and in my heart over the past several years to be awakened, really, to my own internal world and what's going on. And it's a scary thing. I'd much rather just be happy all the time. But it's, it's also been a beautiful thing. And it, he, he does it in a lot of different subtle ways. Sometimes it's in a very brash and open way. But I think there's like just these subtle encouragements that I receive, like Deb preaching last week and sharing about her own anxiety and things. It gives me the courage to look my own anxiety or desolation in the face and, and to name it to other people. And there's something that about naming that that kind of un, undoes the lie that we hear about that, right? If, if other people knew that I felt desolate in this time or that I was depressed or anxious or uncomfortable or unhappy or I was lacking faith in this situation, what would they think about me? They'd ostracize me. They wouldn't let me preach. They wouldn't listen to me preach up here. I wouldn't be welcome in this community. But simply taking that step of naming it to somebody instantly oftentimes will untangle that lie and open our eyes to the fact that, that we have to share that with each other. We have to open up ourselves to share those dark spaces. But beyond just sharing them with our community, it's really important for us to know that God is with us in the midst of them. He's not waiting for you to un unpack and fix your desolation. He's not waiting for you to manufacture joy. He's not waiting on you to advent properly or to plan out something awesome on your schedule. But God is with you right now in the midst of this dark moment. Whenever it feels like there's an eclipse of God where God has turned his face from you, he is looking at you, he is with you, and he's present with you. It's a little hard to figure out a way for us to respond to that practically. But one of the ways that I've found that I'm responding to it is by sh naming it to people, sharing it with people, practically speaking. I'm gonna go and say this to Mallory, my wife. I'm going to share this with my community. It also has been helpful for me just to write it down, honestly, and to, to write that down in my time of prayer with God and say, I'm feeling this way. What's going on here? Another way that we can respond is by being present in the midst of those dark moments as we come to the table on Sunday and make Eucharist together. 
Where are you afraid to ask God for a sign today? Where is it that as I'm speaking now, you, you're thinking in the back of your head of a situation that you are uncomfortable with asking God to step into and meet you in? Where are you trying to Ahaz your way around trusting God because you don't want to test him? What is the cost of trusting God with that desire? We were talking about in DNA a couple weeks ago that I think oftentimes in past the, my past experience in different Christian traditions, uh, it's very easy to think about prayer and Christianity as like we're trying to figure out, we're trying to crack the code and figure out the proper formula for getting what we want from God. Like God is, if we read the scriptures properly and study them appropriately, then we'll learn how to get what we want from God. We can not only name it, but we'll name it the right way that instantly he kind of acts like a genie for us and we get what we need. We'll get the job that we're praying for. We'll get the raise that we need, the car that we want. But I think more and more I'm convinced that this, this walk, this faith is about becoming, God is making us into the people that will share our wants with him. Not that we can get what we want from him necessarily, and that's not to say you never do, but God is asking us to, to trust him with those desires, to trust him with our hearts, and he's forming us into those people. So thinking about what, what it is that we struggle to trust God with, what does it cost you to trust him there? What, what, is, what happens if you trust God with that desire and it doesn't go your way? He's with you in the midst of your wandering. He's with you in the midst of your lack of hope for the redemption and restoration of a broken relationship. in your job search, in your anxiety, in your subtle discontent, God is with you. You don't have to muster or manufacture faith. You don't have to pretend or pose. In the midst of your dissatisfaction and desolation, God is with you. Let's respond this morning by bringing that dissatisfaction and desolation to the table as we receive and make Eucharist together. And Josie's going to Come and lead us in a prayer response as well.